Welcome, everyone. This is Chris Sarda with episode three of the Ten of Swords podcast, where I try to cover themes and, and background and uh, all the interesting stuff happening in Ten of Swords on a weekly basis. So far, I've uh, I've only had to do uh, an issue, or I guess in the prelude, I did two issues, and I've I've been able to talk. Uh, a lot about uh, Ten of Swords with just a single issue or or in the case of the first one, the, the Preludes. Uh, next week we have, uh, this week we're doing X Factor 4, which is part two of Ten of Swords. But next week, uh, three issues are coming out according to the schedule. The schedule's not always right, but we have Wolverine 6, X-Force 13, and Marauders 13. So we'll see how that adjusts. I may have guests in and out of here. Uh, so we'll see about that. Uh, but this is this is powered by at Chaos and Comics on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. If you just searched Chaos and Comics on any of those platforms, uh, you would you would find me and all the other comic content I do right now. Even though this is uh, the propaganda show, this is a a powered by Chaos and Comics show, and that's what this channel's been. It's been a comics uh, podcast for a minute, but we'll change that up eventually. Uh, for now, though, uh, I am going as deep as I possibly can on Ten of Swords. Um, I, I've juggled like how to do this, but in my mind, if you're buying it, there's no need to uh, there, there's no need to fumble around or anything. Like we we could just get deep into it, and it'll be for the you know the handful, the dozens of people that actually are reading it and then would listen to a podcast like this. So that, that's my goal. So I'm just going to keep getting more and more into the weeds, uh, just doing this out of enjoyment. And even in one issue, there is a, a ton of stuff I want to talk about. I don't even know if I'll get to it all. Uh, one is the, the scope of the story, the, the nature of Marvel crossovers and events and, and how this is different in the same, um, Apocalypse again is a is a big part of this, even though he's even though he's injured and his uh, his connection with Richter um, Polaris she's had uh, she has she has a she has a, a very important thread going through X Factor number four here everything from PS her her, her PTSD um, from watching Rockslide die uh, her relationship with Magneto um, there's two white pages that talk about. Uh, two of the kingdoms that we that we saw uh, in a chart uh, in the la in X of Swords part or Ten of Swords part one, uh, and then a little bit of art and um, and the big the big thing the raising the stakes thing, which is the uh, that the fact that for the most part you can die in Otherworld, and we're going to talk we're going to talk about the details of that in the plot, and then we're going to also. And then I'm also going to talk about it in the context of of um, what Hickman had done before, uh, and 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 deciding to you know quote unquote raise the stakes. But first, I think the you know people are there, there's a lot of negativity towards Ten of Swords, but it is from people that are telling you they're refusing to read it. And I don't even know, I don't really know, I don't know what to say to those people because I don't think they were reading the X-Men books anyway. I, I, I would be more, I would be more partial to understanding someone that was reading just X-Men or just one other book 
and decided that it was too much. <clears throat> that that they were already in the X-Men world, and then they, they sort of felt cheated. Um, I just uh, I was reading all the X-Men books, so this is not a, a crazy thing for me. I was just picking them all up. It was really, really this and Venom and Thor were like the last big two books I'm buying that I, I want to keep buying. I, I guess I've been reading Death Metal also over in DC. But, um, you know, I have a backlog of some DC books. And obviously I have like a whole bunch of stuff I've never read like all of you guys do. So it's really X, the X-Men books that are making me a real big two buyer, a real Marvel buyer. And and I, I, see where they're, I see where people are coming from, especially since Hickman at the beginning said... Hey, these are meant to be read alone. You you're ne- you were never meant to read them all. You, there's something for everybody. And then, you know, this giant series is going to go right through these books. And as of X Factor 4, it does appear that they are going to be a a giant series. You're not just going to get some tie-in uh some tie-in books that, you know, an adventure over here or something like that. I'm sure that'll happen to some extent. But this X Factor book was no, is nothing like the X Factor books before it. Only Polaris is on is uh is, is in this book that was in X Factor before. So um, it has nothing to do with the it has nothing to do with uh, the X Factor sort of premise that they go and look for they go and find out what happened to Dead Mutants so that they can make sure that they do get resurrected because if there's a question. The five can't resurrect them. So it has nothing to do with that. It just has everything to do. It's a direct continuation, uh, story-wise, from what happened in X of Sor- X of Ten of Swords creation. Uh, the only difference is that Leo Williams is writing it. Carlos Gomez is doing the art. Israel Silva is the letterer. Uh, Joe Caramagna is, or uh, Joe Caramagna is the letterer. Israel Silva is the colorer color artist, and then Tom Muller, of course, is still on um, the design, the ubiquitous Hickman X-Men design. So it is, it's just a straight continuation. So if you were only reading X-Factor, you'd just be completely confused, right? So I, I guess I feel sorry for you guys, but in my mind, I don't care so much, you know, like, is this a bad business move? Is it is it giving like negative juju to Hickman and the X Men? I I guess I don't know. I don't care. It's a it's really the equivalent of when your your baseball team or football team spend too much money on on All Star or maybe a, he's a little bit older or something and they give him a whole bunch of money and people are like they paid him too much and it's like why do you care? It's your team, you know, like shouldn't matter how much they pay the person, right? They, that's the business side. You're the fan of the team. You just want to watch the team win. And this is this is something similar, you know. So for me, what this is, is I, I recognize that this is probably the last time this will happen because it's probably a pretty bad idea. But I just care about the story, and I was reading all these books anyway. And for most people that were reading two or three X-Men books, it... It only it only costs them a, another few dollars to to pick up a few more, right? So, so for me, it's like a moment in time, and I'm gonna get I'm gonna get in my mind what the best of all worlds is from an event. Um, one that it's a single narrative. I don't know I don't know if some of these books will start feeling like tie-ins, 
Uh, I'm sure like the Wolverine book is going to feature Wolverine. There, there might be more of a focus, but it feels to me from what happened from creation to X Factor number four, it feels like I'm going to get a, a large 22 chapter story. Uh, maybe some of those stories will focus more in on, on certain characters, obviously Wolverine and Cable because they have their own books. But for the most part, I'm, I feel like I'm going to get this epic story, which is really, really what I want uh, from something like this. And to me, that's just a like a moment in time, something that might not be repeated. And I don't have to worry about getting volume one of Ten of Swords. You know, I have the perfect reading order. Uh, no one, no one's going to tell me which tie-in is necessary and which tie-in is not. And then something that definitely won't happen that Marvel is is to me infamous for, especially in the last. Well, I guess Empire is the last one, but in the two two of the big events that happened last year, that the you couldn't just read the main story. All the tie-ins mattered in War of the Realms. And and absolute carnage a little bit more in War of the Realms, but then in Absolute Carnage there was stuff that didn't make sense, like when Miles Morales got uh, carnageized or whatever, or got taken over by the Carnage symbiote. He sort of figured it out in his book, but then he was a mindless monster in the in the main book. You know, so you're not going to get any of that stuff. I, I mean, this is this is being written by other people, but it's it's the Hickman it's the Hickman sort of concept through and through. And and I'm into that. I'm happy with that. It doesn't matter to me that that this might be bad for business or they're expecting me to buy 22 books. I was going to buy these 22 books anyway. I'm already 100 in. So for me, uh, I get something special that maybe no one else is going to read. And then I do a podcast that probably no one's going to listen to, which makes me happy. I mean, not that no one's listening, but just that I can get this deep into something. Uh, and I... And, and I think that that's probably what brings what makes me like this X-Men run more is that I really had a good starting spot. Uh, also that Hickman is not doing the thing where he's just trying to start over either. He's like taking a lot of the X-Men history uh, and, and using it for the future. So he's taking all that convoluted stuff. So it's tough, but hey, I'm a comic book reader. I, f- I figure this stuff out, you know. Like, I barely know who the hell Rockslide is. I figured it out. I don't think I've ever read a single, single Excalibur book except for when it changed to the Age of Apocalypse Excalibur. <clears throat> and I don't think I've read any Alpha Flight or know anything about Alpha Flight except for when they appeared on the 90s cartoon. And those characters are here in some of these X-Books, and I figured it out. You know, uh, there's a little bit of mystery going on, but I can figure it out. I, I guess I'm a seasoned comic book reader, or uh, I'm more apt to complain about people who complain about such things, but I figured it out and I've enjoyed it a lot. And and it's a even though it's very convoluted and probably not great for business that people can't just jump in on some of these books. Uh, it, it it's at least intelligent and it's keeping me on my toes wondering. And it isn't just another Batman Joker story. I sort of had to bring in Batman and. Uh, and even though a lot of these are team books and uh, um, it's hard to get some major players a lot of focus, it, it really it really brings out what I enjoy about, and this is very top-heavy, right? Because they both 
you know, DC and Marvel both don't necessarily do this uh, with every issue or every character. But it really brings out the reason I like Marvel a little bit more than DC, although I still love DC, don't get me wrong, is that these these characters have, there's a little bit more complexity within these characters rather than the gods of DC. And I throw Batman in as a god too because of his intellect. So uh, I enjoy it. It's very detailed, very technical, um, not great. Definitely not what Marvel does where this could be someone's first comic. It's definitely not that, but it is it is a Hickman run and that's what you get from Hickman. And um, I've enjoyed the last year, and I hope to enjoy the next year. So uh, enough about that business side and stuff. Let's really get – I really want to get into the story. That's what the entire point of this podcast is, is, uh, is really to expand and, and talk about things that happen in the story. And similar to last week, I'm going to avoid just going chronologically page by page. I want to talk about characters in here. And, uh, and the plot of the story should come out from there. So to start, let's talk about the connection between Apocalypse and Richter. I, uh, I, I still don't really understand it. I'm not sure if it happened. Now, Richter and Apocalypse have been connected from the beginning of Excalibur, at, meaning like he went and, and recruited him. But this like this psychic connection or this emotional connection that they seem to have in X Factor Four, I'm not sure exactly where that started, and I'm not sure if uh, if the if this emotional connection uh, started when uh, Apocalypse killed all the externals to create the external gate that uh, led them right to um, Saturnine and 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 the other world. But there is some kind of connection, and it's in, <clears throat> it's enough of a connection. That um, that while the healer is trying to heal Apocalypse and Richter, uh, Apocalypse attacks the healer uh, because the healer's was basically going to let Richter pass and then uh, reanimate him, which is actually what happened. And while it doesn't take that much for a character like Apocalypse to attack you, he's he's violent. He's a villain, uh, even though he's on the side of the good guys, which I think is something that uh, rubs some people wrong about this uh, this run of the X-Men. But he is he is a violent guy, and he's going... He attacks the healer when the healer decides that he's probably going to let Richter die. And and that really just highlighted their connection. Um, but it didn't give uh, much more information. And the only reason the healer's not dead is because Apocalypse... Uh, is because Apocalypse was stopped... By Hope Summers, who was able, uh, who was able to get in Apocalypse's mind because he is uh, he was he was pretty injured by the poison blades that he got stabbed with in the other world. Um, Apocalypse not dying though, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Apocalypse not dying in the other world is pretty big, as we'll find out in a little bit. Um, but only being injured. I was a little bit surprised that they did keep Healer alive, um, just because of the way that they raised the stakes later on. In the book, um, you you'd think Healer would be one of the pers- one of the people they they took off the table, and all of the attacking Healer and trying to save Richter was all for naught because Apocalypse or Richter does actually die and gets re- resurrected later um, under some wartime uh, reasoning that they they do it so quickly, uh, and Apocalypse remains uh, injured and uh, and. 
him and Magneto seem to have an interesting relationship. Um, both of them being historically, for the most part, being antagonists towards Professor X and the X-Men, uh, where Magneto's closer to uh, Malcolm X, let's say, uh, for race, race relations or mutants to humans, and Apocalypse being closer to a, a Hitler or a, not a Stalin at all, but really just a Hitler um, or, or some kind of ultra-fascist version of that. Uh, of course, the, the difference being in the, when you compare Magneto and Professor X to Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X, that's from, uh, an oppressed viewpoint. And when you compare Apocalypse to Hitler, that's from the, the non-oppressed group trying to take over. But, uh, but that's their, that is their, that's both their mindsets, or at least we're, we can think of them coming, and then a writer will come in and do different things. So the way that they talk to each other is is very interesting, and Magneto seems to be pretty disgusted with Apocalypse. He was, uh, he was originally strongly against even having the external gate open. Uh, the island of Krakoa overrode him, and, uh, and towards the end of this comic, uh, Magneto who we'll talk about again in when we talk about Polaris, um, basically basically tells Apocalypse's great experiment uh, failed, which does not look to be the case. Magneto seems to um, seems to be wrong about that, uh, and then tells uh, Apocalypse a minor justice that you also suffer the consequences of your poor decisions. I doubt anyone shall grieve your absence, which he tells Apocalypse that because uh, that. Resurrection's going to slow down because uh, of what happened uh, to Rockslide, which we'll get to. So what you have here is um, Apocalypse is still at the center, even though he's not at the center of this book. There's some connection with Richter. Uh, I had thought that he was going to save Richter, that that connection might be broken uh, if Richter was uh, was resurrected. But we'll, we'll see about that. Um, if not... It doesn't make a lot of sense that Apocalypse would be angry that Healer wasn't going to heal him or wasn't going to try. But then again, we do have uh, we do have a precedence for this. Storm was going to die of the machine virus, but she had a long uh, she had a long monologue, not a long monologue, like a panel or two about it's still dying and you're still trying to avoid dying. And that story will probably continue after Ten of Swords because they basically. Um, created a sentient robot race or AI over there. So um, that'll, that'll go on. But I guess, I guess what that set up is that, hey, just because you could be resurrected uh, for a lot of people or most people, you're still not pro-dying. It still hurts. It's still painful. It, it still feels like an end. And, um, and I could see that because even now as a reader, from a reader point of view, the resurrection is, I guess it... As far as anything, any of this makes sense. I guess it makes sense from from the fact that your consciousness your consciousness is still there. It's still you, um, but it's not your same body. But really, how much of your body is the same? Like you shed these cells; these cells die, they reproduce, and you look the same and stuff. But it's not this is not the same this is not the same skin cells I had on my face uh, three years ago, you know. So uh, it, it, it makes sense in. The resurrection part makes sense in, 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 in that way. 
But from that point of view, I guess I could still understand how you would still not want to die. You don't want to just be resurrected all the time. You don't want to have that permanent sleep and then wake up or something and just be missing a week. It would still be strange. But the connection between Apocalypse and Richter is um, something that uh, I think we'll get more from unless there was something I missed with the external gates. And any time that Magneto and Apocalypse are talking is a is a good time. Uh, the the next group I want to talk about or the next topic um, that I think is relevant uh, happened in the White Pages and um, in X Men Creation we got a whole giant chart of all the kingdoms or whatever in in other world. There were the foul kingdoms and the fair kingdoms. And we get white pages talking about two of these kingdoms, even though they are not mentioned in the whole story. Uh, the floating kingdom of Roma Regina. Uh, the regent there is Lady Roma. And um, she is the daughter of Merlin. And the other white page is the Holy Republic of the Fae. Uh, and that's ran by Merlin. So one's very hedonistic. That's the one uh, ran by Lady Roma, and one is um, the great hero friend, Merlin. Uh, and one is uh, very strong on the law and order side and, and probably dictatorship. So uh, Merlin's not getting a lot of love. Merlin's often a... Merlin seems to often be a villain in comic books. Uh, definitely in the Excalibur world, I guess once in future's on my mind, but I can't really think of a time that wasn't just actually a King Arthur story that Merlin... Was, uh, was a good guy. So in, in this case, uh, he is not. And when I start thinking about, you know, the fact that there's a tournament, and I'll talk about the tournament in a little bit here, but when I start thinking that there's going to be some kind of fighting tournament uh, and that we got this chart next uh, in X-Men creation or Ten of Swords creation, and now we're getting these these full write-ups of, uh, of two of the... Uh, two of the provinces in other world that will probably continue to get these write-ups. The the 22 chapters doesn't sound like that much if you consider that they're all going to be, and I'm just guessing here, so, you know, in later, in, in later iterations of this podcast, it might be different, but it looks like what they're doing is setting up the places where these fights are going to happen uh, to, to create a sense of a, a cool action scene, essentially, so that they're not just all look like that other world that we saw in Ten of Swords creation, is my guess. So now you have ten people uh, with ten swords. There's going to be some kind of tournament, uh, which is probably the only thing I think is lame about this whole thing. And we're getting the we're getting the locations uh, set up. So it feels like a fighting game, is what I'm is what I'm saying. That you're going to have these levels. Those levels are going to look in a particular way, um, and and they're going to have their own particular things about them uh, that hopefully make the action interesting, uh, depending on the characters that end up there and are fighting. And when you think about it that way, ten swords, ten characters, a bunch of other X-Men, all of the, the science fiction-y stuff that happens has to happen before, um, the fact that you are going to have the... Uh, not the mushy stuff. I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm putting it down, but you're going to have the heart stuff because um, people are just obviously going to die here. One of them I still think is going to be Apocalypse. It's a way to take them off the table. Oh, that's what I wanted to say about Apocalypse. I'll, I'll probably jump back over to that. 
But really, 22 parts doesn't sound like that much because the meat, the middle of it, Act 2, you know, or Act 3A or whatever, the middle of it is going to be these uh, these fight scenes and whatever little hooks you can get within them uh, in in whatever in whatever province of Otherworld that they take place in. So 22 parts actually doesn't sound like that much because you're going to be able to have these what are going to end up being little side quests. And my guess is that the meat of some of these books are going to be these fights. Uh, and then we're going to find out stuff with Professor X at Krakoa or whatever. So uh, it looks like it's not going to be that hard to fill these um, 22 pages. And I don't want to get into, I don't want to really read about these quite yet. I'll get into them when they're relevant. I'll probably just come back to this whenever there's a fight on the floating kingdom of Roma Regina or the Holy Republic of Fae. Uh, we'll get back to those in detail. Um, the other thing I want to say about Apocalypse, and I've said this in, in the previous, uh, in the previous podcast is this is, this seems like a way for Hickman to take Apocalypse off of the table. I think that Apocalypse will probably be gone after this and, uh, I'll keep saying it. We'll see how close I am to being correct. And before Hickman came around, the X-Men books were taking certain players off the table. So in, uh, in Exterminated, you could tell they, they didn't want to deal with time travel uh, so much, or at least didn't want to deal with it the way it had been uh, dealt with. So they wanted to take the old X-Men off the table. So all those X-Men that have been floating around, the original five that have been floating around, you know, time displaced. For those that don't know, for a while there were two Cyclopses, two Beasts, two Angels, etc. Two Iceman. Um... They, they took them off the table and exterminated. They went back home or to their own world or whatever. And, uh, and so they were gone. Then there was a whole 20-issue series taking Nate Gray off the table, whose uh, alternate version and very powerful version of, of Cable, essentially. And then within Exterminated, you also got Kid Cable. So there was a, a decent amount of, sa- of stage setting uh, Cyclops also was brought back alive and so was Wolverine. So clearly Hickman didn't want to deal with their, res- you know, their resurrections in that sense. They wanted to bring them back on the table beforehand. So there was all this set up anyway, um, in order for Hickman to, uh, to really start moving forward his, uh, his two year run or about two year run on, on the X books. Um, and then within, uh, House of X, Powers of Ten, Sabretooth was taken off the table. We've hardly heard anything about him. So there, there is a precedence for him going, okay, these guys, for the moment, they've ran their, uh, you know, they, they, they had their runs. They're going to affect my plot or what I'm trying to do, and I'm going to take them off the table. And I, I think that he was able to have his story with Apocalypse, that he was able to use him. He's going to be able to use him for what he needed um, for some of the things that he does in the future. But Apocalypse is a very, very, very powerful character. And if we really start getting into you know, some of the stuff, the AI and um, take over, another big theme is um, is like a the Borg takeover thing. We saw it with the Sidri in Giant Size Nightcrawler and obviously all the stuff that happens in Powers of Ten is this sort of unification or you know, 
the big thing taking over the little thing and becoming one. That's one of the big things happening in X-Men. So uh, Apocalypse is someone that's going to be able to stop that, you know, that being the powerful mutant that he is, the powerful psychic that he is, and, um, you know, with the celestial powers and stuff. So my my thought is that he's going to go off the table for that reason, and we're really going to get started and kicking on, on uh, some of the stuff that happens in Powers of Ten that we barely touched on, a little bit of mystique and whatnot uh, afterwards. And so I'm not going to keep repeating that on these podcasts, but as things happen in the books that, um, as things happen in these books that either support or tear apart my idea, then, then I'll come, you know, I'll come back and refer to those. Um, so there's Apocalypse. There is, uh, two of the provinces introduced. And now let's focus out of the plot for a second. And, and I want to look at this, um, top down again, sort of like we did at the beginning of the podcast. It's not the same topic. So like I said, the book is, um, so this is written by Leah Williams, uh, Carlos Gomez Art, Ilzer Silva Colors. And it, it does, the one thing, the two things that are the same about it, it uh, you know, this issue of X Factor and previous issues is Polaris is part of it. Um, I'm, sorry, I'm actually having trouble remembering Polaris being in those X Factor books now that I think about it. So I might even be wrong about that. But uh, um, the other one is that it does look like the X Factor book. So I wouldn't have been able to necessarily guess that Leah Williams was writing it, but this does look like Carlos Gomez's art. And I, I think that's something we're going to uh, compare, especially after we get three issues uh, next week. We have So if I count the preludes, we'll be seven issues in, right? And I think something important will be... Uh, as far as the flow of the story goes, is to compare some of the art. Because the difference between this giant event and uh, Hoxpox is that it's uh, it's not all written by Jonathan Hickman, and Hoxpox was written by just was drawn by just two artists. But we're going to have a multitude of artists uh, drawing these twenty-two parts, and I think something that is going to be interesting um, and uh, needed to do as far as criticism is is to compare the art and even the writers this time as we tell something that is going to be mostly connected. And Leah Williams, I think, does fine. Uh, to be honest, this is this wouldn't be a book that you go that this is great Leah Williams or bad Leah Williams. In fact, it still feels... It, if this Jonathan Hickman's name was on it, you we would have all thought it was Jonathan Hickman. But you do get a difference in in uh, drawing style, and it does look like the X Force um, comic from before. the uh, The colors are very, very bright, uh, vibrant here. In fact, not only did uh, not only did the Merlin stuff make me think, oh, I'm reading about Merlin and Once in Future. The colors made me think of Once in Future too. Who those colors are done by Tamara Bonvillain, who's one of the elite colorists out there. And I can't say that I remember something else that Israel Silva's done. Um, but it does, it does have the same vibrant and, uh, and dark feel that I, I feel when I read once in future, although once in future's paper quality is a lot better. Marvel paper quality quality is, uh, is the absolute worst. Um, Carlos Gomez though has this style that, um, is cartoony only because of the faces, 
and uh, and and cartooning sometimes is taken negatively, uh, but I don't think it should here because uh, it works for him in that you get um, you get the the sort of extreme look of some of the emotions on people face on people's faces work really well. What's most interesting about the style though is although the the faces have the anime, especially the women have the anime look. Uh, the bodies are realistic. The bodies are not cartoony at all. I think that, um, well, when I say realistic, comic book realistic, but they don't have the cartoony nature of a manga or the kind of thing that you see in Miss Marvel or Squirrel Girl or something, or drawn by uh, Dylan, uh, eh, what's his name? The guy who wrote X-Force before Hickman, or the guy who drew X-Force before Hickman came around uh, and, and also drew some Cosmic Ghost Rider. But, uh, Dylan Bundy. No, not Dylan Bundy. Anyway. Uh, a very cartoony drawer. So you you do have the uh, the facial expressions and, and the face, especially the women that are cartoony, but the bodies look like uh, the realistic bodies that we're more used to in Western comics. So it was a it was a good contrast. Um, although I think uh, Tennisert's creation wasn't that much different, um, but Apocalypse does look different, and he looks different in he looks different in every book so far. Everyone has their own take on Apocalypse. And it's something I, I enjoy a lot, uh, and it's something that when maybe the plots of the books start going into more action based, we'll um, we'll do a we'll do a quick apocalypse comparison, which I've already done from Excalibur to uh, X Men twelve and in the first issue. But it's uh, it's something I like a lot. So this is uh, also going to be another big overarching theme that we'll talk about in every uh, in every iteration of this podcast is the way that even though it is a even though we we think of this as a Hickman Hickman X-Men or Hickman Mutants um previous to this you know in between Hawkspox and this they've been written by a whole bunch of other uh creative teams and it was a lot easier to pick and choose and, and shrug them off or not not read uh one or the other but now those same creative teams for the most part are going to be on these 22 parts um but we're, this is going to be more a reflection of uh, the the X office, the X Men office, where Hickman will consider, and maybe Teeny Howard too. It looks, like, I mean, she wrote X Men or Ten of Swords creation, uh, where Hickman is more the quarterback, and these are all players. And I think that it will, I think that will critically, that will be something that when I look back on, I could say worked or didn't work. Um, the fact that there are just so many creators on this. And you could get away with that in the 90s with Executioner Song and, like, um, uh, what was the other one? Mutant Mask or whatever, Phalanx. That, those really big stories. I mean, Maximum Carnage is considered... It's really unreadable and really silly. That's a Spider-Man book, but it's, you know, it's considered... It's remembered as one of the big Spider-Man events, you know? But I don't think you can get away with that now. So you can have multiple writers, but you still have to have some kind of unity. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shy away from... Um, criticizing it in the middle of the work, I would like the I would like the event to end and then start coming back and looking at that. But um, but it is something we're going to pay attention to the uh, you know issue by issue, new writer, new artist uh, in something that looks like it's going to be told in distinct chapters. So thirty five minutes in, um, you know, I guess I buried the lead here. But I guess the meat of the story, and maybe I should have just started with this, but I guess the meat of the story involves Polaris. 
and Polaris on a lot of different levels. She gets a, a real good focus here, uh, which I like, because she's she's dealing with her own thing. She feels like she could have saved Rockslide, who got cut in half in Otherworld, uh, the issue prior, um, because Polaris, for those that don't know, she has Magneto's powers. She she can she's a, a master of magnetism, so she feels like she could have saved him. Um, she's going to apologize to him when he is resurrected, but she still feels like crap about it, which uh, which we'll find out later uh, matters because when they do resurrect Rockslide and Richter, Richter comes out the same. He died on Earth, but Rockslide comes out different. It's not the Rockslide that everyone knew. He he's different, and this is this is where. The, the stakes really raise. And we're going to get back to uh, Polaris for sure in a second. But you, you have two things here. Um, one is uh, how much were you, were you committed to this new, this new plot device that you created where mutants can be resurrected and according to Hickman himself during one of, the, uh, one of his interviews when the Dawn of X was really starting... That you, you take death off the table and now writers have to, you, you make it harder for the writers. Writers have to figure out uh, how to make a good story without these, uh, these comic book stakes that are always hanging over comic book readers. Even though we all know they come back. I mean, I've, I, I just ha- I've had this argument for the last year or more than a year, right? Is that there's no stakes in X-Men, but there, there was never any stakes. You just made up the stakes, you know? And when a character dies in a comic book now, especially when they're a big character, I know, like, I know, the way I try to take it is that, okay, I know that character will eventually be back, but I don't just repeat it over and over. Uh, what matters is that those people think he died, right? Uh, that the other people in the comic thinks he's dead. You know, Batman thinks Alfred's dead. I know Alfred will be back eventually. Batman thinks he's dead. So, um, so when X-Men did that, you know, it was like, oh, to me, it was like, Oh, let's see what you can do with this. That's interesting. Like, take death off the table. Let's see what, what you can do with it. And we got some pretty cool things, like Storm killed Apocalypse and became Apocalypse, or not Storm, Rogue killed Apocalypse at one point and became Apocalypse Rogue, which I, I think, you know, Teeny Howard should have used a lot more. But, you know, he's going to be re- resurrected. So you had these, like, it wasn't about Apocalypse dying. It was about Rogue being so mad and essentially killing Apocalypse and taking all those powers and then looking like a cool rogue, rogue apocalypse or something, you know. So it isn't, it wasn't about death anymore because they could come back, and and that was a big part of the story. And we had to be creative. That's the main thing I want to highlight here is that Hickman said that now I have to make everyone creative. But al- along comes this event uh, where I guess they decide that the stakes need to matter, and the reasoning uh, for making. Uh, you know, for making the stakes matter is, is pretty cool. I'll admit, I like the I like the idea of it. The fact that Otherworld is the um, convergence of possibilities. Uh, it is where like the multiverse comes together or something like that. What, how, whatever weird thing, sci-fi fantasy thing you want to attach to it. So when Rockslide died there and they resurrected him, uh, what happened was it corrupted the cerebro file that kept his his consciousness or consciousness or his backups and when they resurrected him he was a different kind of he was a convergence of all those realities but as a reader i bought in i bought into the 
the whole the whole death doesn't exist thing. We got to be creative and think of new ways. And, you know, I bought into that 100%. For example, I thought of a new thing. I thought, hey, I've been uh, recording in my echoey-ass kitchen uh, without a microphone, uh, and uh, I should probably go do that. So if there's been a sudden change in the sound, which I'm sure there is because I've done this before, it's because I put in a... I put in... I put in a microphone rather than did it, do it off my phone in my echoey uh, kitchen. Anyway, I was attached to I was attached to the idea. I accepted it. I was let's see what happens. What what you can do? You know what creative stuff you can do with this resurrection thing. Uh, but the the minute they don't need it, they just take it away. And and although I I like the reasoning for it, I think it's comic book cool. The they they did just take it away and now people can die and and i'm having trouble believing it's going to be their final death now, there's a good chance if you know one of my predictions or one of my premises were right that we just talked about that this is the way apocalypse dies or that he stays in another world or whatever happens right but i don't i can believe that rockslide doesn't come back cuz he's a minor character but bringing back the stakes doesn't do anything for me because I I accepted what you said before that they always come back anyway. So let's just have resurrection. And now and now I get I guess that in my head they're just going to be dead for the Hickman verse, which hey, maybe I won't continue to read X-Men afterwards. But uh but I, I would have liked I would have liked to see them, you know, tackle a giant event create some other stakes or some other excitement that wasn't just, oh, you are actually going to die here. And, uh, and you, that makes it a little bit more regular. The tournament idea, at least from the beginning, at least from, you know, being on chapter two, the idea that we're just going to fight a tournament. Yeah, I mean, your last huge Marvel series Hickman, was, was literally a tournament. Uh, the fact that they're going to do a tournament and then that we sort of switched around this death thing that uh, that I was bought into are, are things that you know, I'm, you know, going right back to that. I'm going to sit in the seat, my seat, but I'm going to strap in and just see where they take me. It's fine. But I'd bought into some things and, and now that they, they're taking them away, it feels almost like a cop-out in that case. So let's get back to Polaris. She, um, she is really, she's really the heart of soul and soul of this issue because not only does she feel like already feel like crap when she thought that rocks like come back when she finds out that she did it, that she, she, that he's not, that he's not the same rock slide because of what happened, uh, because of where he died and what we just discussed. Um, she seems even more distraught and we get a little picture of his relationship or her relationship with her father, Magneto, who is, um, who's being, uh, being more of an emotional antagonist to Polaris and then later on uh, to Apocalypse, if you're looking at Apocalypse's point of view or whatever he's planning or plotting or needs to do, uh, that he, he really just has a bad attitude towards him, towards her. Now, something I guess I missed and didn't talk about, or I just didn't talk about or, or didn't realize is a big deal, Saturnine put in all this information in Polaris's head about what to do or what needed to be done. And uh, she couldn't figure it out. She was a little bit distraught from that too, uh, because she's not a sorceress. She's not a psychic. Why would you put this information in, in her head? And finally, 
I mean, finally, her dad really just sticks it to her, essentially, and 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 tells her, uh, <laughs> um, he asks her, "Have you figured? Have you deciphered the clues Saturnine gave you? Who are the champions? Uh, and you dare dally? We need to know this information if we are to survive." You know, exclamation mark. He's being Magneto. Uh, he's treating his daughter this way. And uh, just do the work, Polaris screams at her as a as a council member, as a father, and that breaks her down. And an entire prophecy comes out that is really just mismatched. But we'll we'll talk about it in a second. It gets organized in a white page later on. But uh, an entire prophecy comes out. Uh, just so she's uh, so distraught that even being yelled at, and she's thinking about this later, could could push this prophecy out of her. And she has a lot of good, is actually good sentence writing by Leah Williams here. Um, when she's thinking out loud later on, uh, she says, uh, I'm so desperate to make my father proud. I'm also unfortunately often desperate to thoroughly dematerialize. Uh, these desires war, so I have to satisfy both. Be soft and unyielding, strong and vulnerable, open and shut all at once. And I think... I think that is the, I think that's the, the fight with, um, I don't want to say she has mental illness. I think she's just going through a stressful situation, but any kind of like mental illness or, or strife, you know, you, you fight this openness and being closed. Should you talk to someone? Should you not, you know? And, um, and she's, she's really getting hit hard at this point by, uh, by what's happening. And, you know, by by this time, Polaris is what 30, a thirty year old character or something, or even older. I think uh, she's way older. She was in the X Men. She's in the X Men just before Claremont took over, right? So she's even older than that. So she's been around a long time. Obviously, she's fought a bunch of stuff, but really, in your in our minds, we should really think like, what has the character done in the last five years or something? Even though it's all continuity, uh, but she's going through a lot here because. Uh, she's the first time the X-Men in a while had, uh, absolute death and she feels responsible for it. Uh, she'd been, she'd been giving, she'd been given this information that she couldn't figure out. That's normally not her role to have stuff in her mind that needs to come out. Uh, and she wasn't figured out her, you know, her father put her, not didn't put her down, but you know, was really intense with her. And, uh, and she feels like she killed her friend, you know? So, you're getting a lot of, in my mind, in what my mind, at least for comic books, is good writing uh, with her thinking out loud as she's collecting the original rock slides remains. So the dead rock slide, there's new rock slide walking, walking around now. And during this monologue that plays out um, panel to panel at the same time as the conversation between uh, Apocalypse Xavier and Magneto, uh, she realizes that the last thing that Saturnine did needed uh, was a ritual sacrifice, and she uses Rock Slide's remains, who is a rock for those that don't know. He's like that's his mutinous, as he's a rock uh, to build the what's going to be the portal to get back to Otherworld, where ten people with ten swords need to stand above it, and uh, and when all ten are there, the portal opens, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get to our. We'll get to our fight scene. So I really liked the way this ended, um, especially her, her when she explained it, 
that uh, I used Rockside's remains to construct Saturnine's casting circle. It's a casting circle. From this day forward, it will remain here as a permanent memorial to Rockslide, the Sanctus Sacrum, uh, sacred sacrifice. So Rockslide, again, Rockslide actually dying is not surprising. not a main character, so you could, you could sort of do that. When the portal opens, we march to slaughter this scourge who brought the unwelcome conflict to our doorstep that killed our little brother. We failed Santo, who's Rockslide. To honor his sacrifice, we must make this death count. Um, and then a character who's not in there, who pumped me up for the, uh, the next version. And the only character that was cool in the New Mutants movie, Magic, shows up. And she goes, well, damn. Let's, let's get ready to show these Iraqi, our finest Krakoan de, uh, democracy. Uh, Magic, who has her own sh- sword and who was the one chosen in the prophecy, which we'll talk about in a second, stands over her circle, puts her sword in, it lights up, and uh, the story and art end with her saying, pound the war drums. So even though it's a goddamn tournament, which I'm just going to put my annoyance to the side there that we're just doing another tournament, uh, I, I can think of this as a war, which is the way I wanted to think of it, and uh, and magic's got me pumped up. So... Uh, they we're going to get some of the Ten of Swords introduced here um, because it, it sounded like gibberish when Magneto yelled at Polaris and she started shooting out all of that stuff. But on the li- last white page, um, Cypher is able to figure out uh, what some of them are. So the first one, uh, and I don't want to read these because they're little poems, um, but the first one is magic and it describes her well enough. Um then Cable is chosen. I think Cable and Wolverine have to be obvious. Also, we've seen a bunch of pictures of these, so we sort of know <coughs> who these people are already. But uh, Cable and Wolverine have to be obvious because they have their own books, right? I always found it weird that Cable can carry his own book, but Storm can't? Cyclops can't? I always found that weird. Um, but uh, but once Cable, and he's you know he's had a whole story about a sword his entire... If you haven't been reading the Cable run... The whole story is about him and a sword. So so that one fits also. Uh, and then... Um, and then Cypher himself is, is a character. We've seen Cypher. His best buddy is Warlock, which is a like a phalanx-type character that, I mean, he's been with for years. Uh, Cypher's power isn't like an attacking power. It's just that language power. So whenever he did have action scenes, it was always... It was always with his cool little phalanx buddy, Warlock. So, uh, uh, and acted almost as a symbiote. So we're going to get them. And um, there is something about a second part here. So when Cypher says, um, then again, Warlock can turn to a sword and I can't. So maybe he's coming with me. I don't know what the second part's about though. So that's something we'll come back to. So friend's self, friend's lost. Out of one come many, into many comes one. So if I just read that and didn't have Cypher telling me who it was, I would think it was Jamie Madrox. Out of many comes one, into... But um, but what that, what that sentence does tell me, and then knowing that it's Cypher and Warlock is a... Um, you know, is uh, related to the whole phalanx thing. Out of one comes many, into many comes one. That is the... That is the one of the main themes of Hickman X-Men is that big fish is a big fish eat the little fish, except we all turn to Skynet, or we all turn to Phalanx, or we all turn to the Matrix, or we all turn 
to some big AI. Um, and, uh, and I think that line and Warlock and Cypher, of course, too, are going to play uh, a big part in, in all of the Powers of Ten stuff that we've seen in the future. And out of one comes many, and to many comes one. That's going to be a theme here. I don't know if it'll be a theme of Ten of Swords, though. Uh, next up is, is Storm. She's in it. A goddess once queen, so that made sense. And, you know, you can't have a giant X-Men event without Logan. Lost soul, an edge gained, a lone wanderer returns to forget, left ablaze. So the Muramasa blade, which um, I don't know a ton about. I know about it just because the little bit I know about Wolverine's exploits in Japan and stuff. Uh, but I do know it's a piece of his soul that made it. And for a long time, that was the only thing that could kill him. Um, there's a whole big story with Dakin and stuff like that, that, uh, I mean, you could really just read on Wikipedia to be honest, or you can go back to. So Wolverine does have a Muramasa blade. Um, if you didn't know the history of that blade, obviously Wolverine having a sword is sort of lame because he has those claws that he knows how to use, but it makes sense. There's a, there's a storm or there's a, there's a sword and there's Wolf. There's a story about swords and Wolverine's alive. So Wolverine's going to be in the story. That's just basically the way it works. Uh, and then the last one is not the last one, but the next one, uh, the next one, I'm just going to throw a theory out there, uh, because it seems, uh, purposefully vague here, but it goes as above. So below from one womb came two. a hero destined to brandish what the earth hath swallowed and echo doomed and an echo doomed to yearn for what the, uh, stars hath forsworn. Um, I didn't understand that either, but Cypher says, I'm not sure I got anything special about this one, but this one seems like the Braddock twins, right? But Brian's not a mutant and I'm not sure which one is in this. So for those that weren't reading Excalibur, Brian Braddock lost, um, the Captain Britain thing, but his sister Betsy Braddock took it over. Uh, but the fact that they're being vague there makes me think that this is less a, and I, now I'm, now I think I remember seeing Psylocke in it, but that this is less a... When it says from one womb came two, this is less a Braddock thing, Betsy and Brian, and more of a Betsy and Psylocke thing. So I think we're gonna get, uh, I think we're gonna get either a Psylocke. She's on the. I should have pulled out these. I think she's on the the Ten of Swords picture, right? I should have had that pulled out. So we'll we'll go into more of that in the next issue. Uh, I think this is gonna be more of a Betsy and Psylocke coming back together thing or, or some special story that way. Um, and that works, that works to make the Hellions book make sense, I guess, because Psylocke is an important character in the Hellions book. So without her, you know, having Hellions sort of mix in would just be, you know, it would be almost like what this book was, except at least at Polaris. So, um, I'm guessing that Psylocke is the other part of that. And maybe that'll be some kind of reveal. Uh, and then, uh, Gorgon is an interesting person to show up here. Uh, ego death and broken bone, two wars waged by one champion alone. So Gorgon showed up pretty quickly when he heard we were, um, talking swords. He's positive. This one for, uh, this one is for him. Someone else can talk him out of that if they want. So we'll see if that works out. Gorgon is in those pictures too. Um, so that seems like some kind of little subplot that they'll be able to work out. And then a father forsaken husband betrayed an ancient treasure sharpens the death of his children's 
crave. Um, the father forsaken, husband betrayed. Of course, if you read the other ones, it's got to be apocalypse. Um, and it got picked up. And I'm not going to fight. He goes, this is, uh, this is another one that got claimed pretty quickly by someone I'm not going to fight with. Apocalypse says he's known from the beginning he's going in and he's gone to collect his sword. I'm curious what Apocalypse's sword is going to be. So a lot of the fun of this is going to be like, which sword do they use? Some of them are obvious, like Cable and Wolverine. Uh, Wolverine from his history of the Muramasa sword. And then Cable from his last, the, his story arc in his, in his Hickman X, in his uh, Brisson book. Um, but as far as like what Apocalypse is going to use, uh, I'm sure there's been a sword in his background at some point, and maybe it's going to be pretty obvious. You know, Warlock is a sword, can be a sword, right? So Cypher works. So a lot of this is going to be like who got what wrong and um, the vagueness in that white page, what is right or wrong. So my theory is that Brian Braddock's still not going to have anything to do with it, um, but Psylocke will. Anyway, guys, uh, that's all I have. I, I have a note here. I have two other notes here. One was to mention that Moira gets a uh, a cameo. She's only appeared once since the uh, Hoxpox series. So Moira gets a little cameo when all those uh, cerebral backups screw up. And then uh, something I called the Great Abortion, which is, I think uh, it wasn't really a talk. I just made a note of the Great Abortion, which is when they destroyed they when they realized that Rockslide wasn't Rockslide. They needed to destroy all the eggs, so they destroyed them all. So it's sort of like an abortion, right? But anyway, uh, there was nothing really to say about that. Uh, so, hey, that is this episode of the Ten of Swords podcast. Uh, we covered X Factor number four here. Next week is going to be three issues. So I don't know if the podcast is going to just be more compact or I'm just going to say, screw it. Let's just make a giant one. But um, we're going to see what happens in those. And if it is a still a giant narrative happening or if it starts branching apart. Anyway, my name is Chris Sardi. You can find me at Chaos and Comics on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, easily, easy to search on all of those. You'll find me and uh, let me know what you think. You can find me on those platforms uh, to comment or talk more about it. Uh, I'm really looking for the handful of you that are willing to get into the weeds uh, of it. You know, I'm not really interested in talking more about that you're not reading it because it's 22 parts or something, you know? So, um, let's just get into the Hickman weeds. Let's talk about all the crazy stuff that's happening, all the symbolism, uh, all the big character stuff and, uh, and the big plot points. And, uh, thank you guys for listening. I will see you or hear you, or you'll hear me next week. <laughs>